Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are just as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They're milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Betches Media presents Betches Moms with hosts Aileen Drexler and Brittany Levine. Get ready to lock yourself in the bathroom or wherever else you hide from your kids because you'll literally never be alone again. Hi, and welcome to the Betches Moms podcast. I'm Brittany. And I'm Aileen. And today we're going to be joined by pregnancy counselor and clinical family support specialist for the Domestic Infant Adoption Program at the Barker Adoption Foundation, which is a nonprofit located in Bethesda, Maryland. Uh, welcome, Sammy. So we really know nothing on this topic, so we're really excited to have you here and to t- teach us and the audience everything that you could teach us about the topic. Sure, sure. So I work for the Barker Adoption Foundation, which, like Brittany said, is a nonprofit organization located in Bethesda, Maryland. Um, What we are is a child placing agency, which is basically it's a licensed entity where we're able to place children in permanent homes. And we have several different programs. We have um, domestic infant. We have a older child program called Project Wait No Longer, which is for children coming out of foster care. And then we have an international program um, where we work with four different international countries to place children in um, homes in, in the U.S. Um, and we also have a plethora of different programs through our post-adoption unit too. So we do in-house counseling and um, different types of programming for families and children and birth parents once they've been placed with a family. Okay. And then, so what do you specifically do there or what do you specialize in? What I specialize in is the pregnancy. So I have a twofold position. So I'm a pregnancy counselor, which basically works with all expectant potential birth parents. And I say potential because There is no expectant birth parent um, because they can make their, they can change their mind at any point up until the child is born. Um, So I work with birth parents to counsel them on what the process is, help them be informed about what their rights are, um, present to them kind of like their legal rights as well, um, and also help get them get connected to different resources um, they might need throughout their pregnancy, things that um, might mean that they don't choose adoption because if they find that they are no longer in need of it, then we don't, this is not a forced choice on anybody. Um, so if connecting them to resources puts them in a different situation where they're able to parent or able to place their child with family members or something like that, then that's really awesome. Um, so I work with birth parents to try and help them figure out if this is the best choice for them and their child and their family um, and help them through that process. Um, And then, like I said, it's twofold. So I also work with our potential adoptive families 
to help them through their waiting process. So it is the waiting for a child to come home or to be placed in your care can be quite grueling, honestly. So I help support with same thing, connection to resources within the agency, outside of the agency, um, offering um, just a listening ear, um, helping them with things like creating their profile books, which um, you all are in marketing in some in some aspect. I mean, it basically is like a marketing tool for yourself, um, which can be quite intimidating. So I help with that. Um, and uh, also just provide some trainings and support groups and things like that. So what are some reasons that families might find themselves wanting to adopt a child? Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely the biggest reason that a potential adoptive family will come to adoption is for infertility reasons. Um, so that's one of the largest reasons. Um, and the other one is also some families just feel it's a calling or that they have never wanted to biologically have a child. And because children are in need of homes, they choose adoption to, since they felt no biological draw to a, to a biological child, they might come to just give a child a home and, and, and to be a family and parent that way. So say you, you decide like, I really want to adopt a child. This is the right thing for me and my family. What do you do next? Like, what is the process? How do you know if you're, if you can? Sure. Um, I think the first step is to attend not just one information meeting, but multiple information meetings. I think getting informed about different agencies, practices, or different pathways um, to adoption is really important. Um, There's lots of different things that are going to resonate with different families as to why what's important for them in choosing a certain pathway or choosing an agency, or you could even do independent adoptions, which are through like attorneys and through your own kind of reaching out to the community and help identifying birth parents. That seems really intimidating to me, but some really do go that route. So I I definitely think going to multiple information meetings and kind of understanding what feels right for you and your family. And I think that's going to be the first and most important step for sure. And what's the next step? (laughs) (laughs) So that is going to be identifying that pathway. So like I mentioned before, my agency has multiple pathways through foster care, through um, domestic, infant and international programs. There are definitely international, uh, there are definitely different programs that are going to have more specific qualifications as to what's going to allow you to adopt. Example would be that typically domestic adoption programs will put age limits on both directions. So sometimes it's like you have to be over 25 to adopt a child and younger than 50. There's other international programs that, uh, or there, there are international programs where it is also going to have age limits. Certain programs also have limits in regards to your BMI, your race and ethnicity, if you're LGBTQ or single. International programs typically are a little bit more restrictive um, because whatever their country parameters are, they we have to follow that versus the other way around, where if it's domestic, um, we get to kind of make those those parameters ourselves. 
That's interesting. <laughs> your BMI, your race, that's really crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I think what I'm understanding, and again, I don't work in international adoption. We, My agency does, but I don't. There, there definitely is, it's ever changing. I mean, like kind of what their rules are and what their, what their qualifications are. And, and as part of your home study process, process which all adoptive fa- prospective adoptive families have to go through is to complete a home study. We do get very into the nitty gritty of your health background and your finances and all of that stuff. But different countries will ask for more specific stuff. I mean, even sometimes as much as being involved in like being involved with a mental health provider could be a disqualifying piece. Wow. Like even if you just see somebody because a lot of people just go to see somebody to talk to because they need to, like that would disqualify you. It could. I'm not saying it always does. Right. It's just for certain circumstances. It depends on the country. It depends on uh, the program within the country. Right. Um, But, or it depends on even like, how long ago you were seeing a counselor, if it's current, what you saw the counselor for, or therapist or psychiatrist. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. What I love about Shopify is basically how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. I know we use Shopify here at Betches, and honestly, anyone with any kind of business could really benefit from Shopify. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash betches, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash betches now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash betches. International aside, because we don't, we can't even like kind of rub our brains around that. In the US though, what would be the requirements or what would make you eligible or maybe ineligible if there's like a smaller pool of things for that, that you might not be able to? to adopt? Or is it too wide of a range of a, of categories that it's hard to sort of say? A little bit of both. So I think it really just is, it's going to depend on um, 
what's going on in the criminal history too. Like if it's, it's always kind of up for looking at, but if it is involving a child, um, then that's going to be a little bit more of a Mm -hmm. harder thing to settle. What about um, just generally like the costs from an adoptive parent perspective? That also is such a insane range. It really depends on state and agency practices. But I think it is the average is, which is just a silly average because it's such a vast number, but the average is between 25 and 50,000 for all in costs. Um, so that would include your application, your home study, um, the placement fee, uh, birth parent expenses, because um, sometimes depending on the state, birth parents are allowed higher number uh, or higher cost of birth parent expenses. So that would be like support in terms of um, rent or other housing support or maternity clothing, groceries, things like that to help support throughout the remainder of the pregnancy. And then also like some post-placement stuff, like your, your visits that your social worker will have to complete to ensure that you are meeting the, uh, the needs of the child. And I have a question. So if you're working with a potential birth parent and you're paying their expenses, is there any type of law protecting you where they it's kind of like a scam and they're just doing it to get money? Like I'm sure there are situations where like that could happen and they don't give up the baby. An ethical agency will have no pressure counseling provided to birth parents. Um, I think a lot of the times when it comes to birth parents, there is the fear of, of something like a scam, but more or less it's oftentimes just a consideration until it's no longer a consideration. And what I mean by that is um, birth parents can't sign any paperwork for most states until after the child is born, saying that they're making a plan for an adoption. And even so, they have X amount of time to change their mind, um, depending on states too. Um, So with that, there are very little protections in terms of the financial assistance because ethical agencies aren't going to put parameters in place for that because then it looks like the money is coerced, uh, coercive. Um, and coercion is going to be something that's going to have any adoption fall through. If a birth parent goes to a judge and says, hey, um, this money was given to me with the intent of me placing my child for adoption, and I've now changed my mind, I mean, that, that sets this adoption up for unraveling. Right. So that's just like one of those small things within the whole thing. It's a small risk. Mm -hmm. People are just willing to take. Yeah. I mean, and in terms of what agencies typically call those fees, they're called at-risk fees. Those fees provided to birth parents are called at-risk fees because it's just, you know, something that is risky risky investment to be making because ultimately we really don't want birth parents making an adoption plan for the child if they don't want to be or continuing with the plan that they had set out if that's not what they're still wanting to do after the child is born. How long is the typical process? That's hard (laughs) because it really depends on how quick somebody is through paperwork or how motivated they are to move through. Someone, Someone meaning the adoptive parent or the birth parents? Oh, okay. So for 
Yeah. So, if, so two different processes. So I guess yeah. from the adoptive parent process, um, it can be uh, from the time you apply to the time that you're actually waiting for a child can be somewhere between six to eight months. Um, and then that average wait time. So the national average wait time, once you are home city approved is about 18 to 24 months for a child to come home. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's definitely some things that play into that wait time, like how open you are regarding the race of the child or how open you are regarding, um, drug or alcohol exposure or medical needs. Um, and then also things like, uh, single parents typically tend to wait longer or families part of the LGBTQ community do wait a bit longer than that too. Why is um, that? Yeah. Cause birth parents are the ones making the selection of the family, um, who's going wow. to be adopting the child. So it's not typically an agency doing that unless a birth parent is requesting typically a closed adoption and wanting no involvement, then an agency would do selection. Um, but more often than not, I would say over 90% birth parents are making the selection. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> LGBTQ families and single people, single people have, have a longer wait time just because of the choice of the birth parent. Uh, um, so then maybe we should, let's talk about the, um, the other side, the birth parent side. What is that process like? Yeah. So, so in terms of like what that time period really is, is really dependent on at what point the birth parent is engaging with the agency or the family or the attorney. So what that would mean is I sometimes have potential birth parents uh, reaching out to me through our hotline. And that could be really super early, like from the moment they find out that they're pregnant from their first missed period, or it could be I'm hearing from them at the time of delivery. They're already at the hospital in labor um, and a social worker is reaching out to me or they're reaching out to me. So it really depends um, if we can do things at any point. It doesn't mean that we have to have been working with you for months at a time. So from in, at your agency or just like in your position, say you hear someone who's about to give birth. So you've let, you have less time um, to place that child. Do you, does that child go in foster care or do you have like a mat? You, you seek a, a match from your um, mm-hmm. I guess portfolio. Waiting parents, waiting pool of waiting families. Yeah. Um, which I mean, portfolio is not wrong. Everybody kind of makes a portfolio or a, okay. The waiting parents, the waiting parents. Yeah. So we, um, yeah. So if that's the case, so which happens about 50% of the time actually is when an agency hasn't been working with birth parents ahead of delivery. Um, so it happens quite a lot. Um, Yeah, we just would do work pretty in an expeditious way. Um, So we would just be gathering all the important information to know about what families can be presented to birth these birth parents. Um, Also, obviously, we need to gather like the medical history, um, history about the pregnancy. uh, And then because the child's about to be born, we're going to have that a little bit more at our fingertips. Um, and then we can show the appropriate families. So if birth parents are also open to only a 
certain demographic of waiting families or something like that, um, then we can kind of pull and make mutual a mutual presentation of who the families they can choose from. Um, and then they typically pick um, from that who their top choice is. So the birth parents have the right, the right, the rights, almost all of the rights here, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, the adoptive family doesn't gain the right to the child until after a paperwork, mm-hmm. until consents or entrustments or relinquishments, depends on what state you're in, what verbiage you're using. But until those that paperwork is signed, then the adoptive parent doesn't really have any rights to the child. Mm-hmm. Um and even so, every state has what's called a revocation, or not every state has it, but um, there's what's called a revocation period um, or a period of time that the birth parents have to change their mind um, about the adoption. So in like New York, where you guys are, it's a 30-day revocation period, um, which means the adoptive parents could be parenting a child that might not get to stay birth parents can change their mind during that period of time. That's tough. Do you tend to see something like that happen often or it's very rare? It definitely happens. I see it a lot or not a lot, but we, we see it Mm -hmm. because we're talking about human people with human emotions and human things going on. Um, And when you're you know, when it's a, your biology, you know, and, and you're, you're passing on um, your biology to somebody and to another human, I mean, it, that's really hard. And so I think it, those, there are some states that don't have that revocation period. And I think that that to me is a little, um, that to me, I raised some eyebrows at, because I think we need to allow space for birth parents to kind of consider this option and, yeah. and and consider what that is, and to feel potentially what it is to not have your child with you, and and what implications does that have on who you are, and 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 or what you want to do, and and I think there's a lot of things to consider that we don't necessarily know until we're in in those shoes, and I know from an adoptive parent perspective, it's really it's really difficult and vulnerable to put yourself in that position too, um, but that's why the adoption process offers a lot of training and support and and hand-holding and things like that. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So it's clearly like a very emotional process for both 
parties, but I'm just wondering, like I hear you talk about it and you're in the middle of it. Is it, do you ever get emotional about it? Like, does it ever kind of weigh on you what you, what you do? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or like, how, how does it affect you? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just wondering, like, I mean, you're answering our questions are very like matter of fact, right? But like, there's gotta be an emotional angle to it for everyone involved, including you. So yeah, I'm just wondering about that. Yeah. I mean, I'm a social worker, so I, I mean, just by nature, I'm an empath. So I don't know. I mean, I, I take on a lot of what other people are feeling and kind of in, internalize that sometimes. I mean, my supervisor and I talk about this all the time because um, I'm such an empath. So yeah, um, but that's why social workers have supervisors and have all these things in place too. And um and yeah, I mean, the profession certainly is like, go get therapy yourself. So, <laughs> right. You know. Right. I can imagine. I'm also an empath. And I just hear now hearing you talk about it, I get emotional. Yeah. <laughs> so I can imagine it's very challenging, but also rewarding in so many different ways. Because at the end of the day, the child, you, your your goal is to to make sure that the, the baby is in a, in a place that's, that, yeah, I don't know, that gives it the appropriate care. Right. Right. So yeah, whether that's birth parent, adoptive parent, or the birth parent's family, whatever that might be, whatever the, whatever is supposed to be um, for that child will happen. And yeah, I think that's just really important when you're looking for adoption ethics is to make sure that there's nothing, no pressure situation for birth parents to make any sort of decision. um, Because ultimately it's about what's best for the child. And if so, as an adoptive family, are you getting um, checked up on by social workers and the agency until a certain point in the child's life? Yeah. Um, so it's it's generally not super long, and it and it again it depends on if you're doing like a foster care adoption or a private or um, international. But um, typically, you can't fi- uh, for domestic. You can't finalize an adoption in most states until the child's been home for at least six months. That's not all states, but that's definitely a lot of states. Um, so a social worker um, in that amount of time usually does about three, maybe five visits. Um, if more visits are necessary, then then they'll increase the amount of visits. Um, but it's usually about somewhere between three to five visits until you can finalize that adoption in court. Okay. What do they check for? Um, just to make sure that the needs of the child are being met, that bonding is happening, develop so that the child is developing appropriately, things like health concerns, getting mm-hmm. all of their pediatrician appointments in, because for the first six months of a child's life, there's quite a lot of pediatrician appointments. Um, there's also like milestone markers that we're looking out for. Um, also, if a child is um, exposed to drugs and alcohol in utero, um, which is very common in adoption and something that adoptive parents should be prepared for, um, is depending on how much use in utero, um, things like getting set up with infants and toddlers for the child is going to be really important to see, um, which is going to provide services to help your child kind of catch up because there are potential developmental implications to substance exposure in utero. So we talked a lot about like the infant 
adoption, but I'm sure I children are adopted at all different ages. Mm-hmm. I, but you work specifically with infants, right? At infant pregnancy stages, or do you represent like multiple different ages? So typically I'm doing infants, but I have, or working with infants, but, um, but I have worked with toddler age, um, young, younger children. I, my history, I, before I came to private adoption was working in foster care, um, and doing foster care adoption or guardianship or something like that. So I did that for about five years before this, um, so, I mean, yeah, I've worked with, I've seen different types in older adoption too. So is that much, is that, I'm assuming that's different because the, the child is older and also has, you know, yeah, has opinions. <laughs> um, yeah. And they does, have, how does that work? Yeah. So that's, that's definitely a different process. I mean, we definitely want families to be open to a lot more um, behavioral needs Um, because children from foster care or older children have a different history. They, they have been living with somebody else. Um, they have, um, oftentimes a trauma history, even if that trauma is just the removal from their parent, from their birth parent. Um, so even if it's just a, a toddler who's coming, not from foster care, you know, no longer being in the care of the person who you've seen for however long as your parent, um, and going to a stranger's home is, is traumatic in and of itself. Um, so we definitely want families who are open to an older child, whether that be through foster care or, um, toddler age to be kind of open to what, what those developmental and behavioral challenges could present like later as it, as it pertains to their, their trauma history. Um, so definitely things like from foster care, being open to things like neglect in their history, physical abuse, sexual abuse, um, developmental delays, perhaps some, uh, intellectual disability or intellectual differences, um, uh, birth parent history of mental illness or substance exposure, uh, substance use. These are all things that are pretty common from the foster care side, um, so adoptive families who are open to that will obviously receive the appropriate trainings for that. Um, and um, part of their home study will assess their readiness to parent that too, parent those needs. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters and What do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Are there any stigmas associated with adoption that you wish didn't exist 
or myths about it that you want to dispel or that might be untrue? Yeah. Um, particularly as it pertains to birth parents, I think a lot of people are afraid of birth parents. Um, it's particularly from, from my end, from the domestic infant side, um, because so often adoptions now are trending and, and are more open or semi-open, which means that there's ongoing contact with birth parents. And so often what I hear, um, with my, with my new families coming to adoption is that there is, some fear of birth parents coming back or birth parents wanting to assert their parental rights later on. And really it's, they're not to be feared. Um, Birth parents can be a strong ally with your child or for your child or with your parenting. Um, I mean, a lot of times they're, they're, especially from my end, like they are, there are certain life circumstances that might lead them to make a decision for to place their child for adoption or to make an adoption plan. But oftentimes they're just looking to give their child a good, stable life and, and not to dispel your family unit later on. Um, it's more about providing your, an open adoption is more about providing an opportunity for your child to know who they are, know their roots, not have these questions or huge points of time and later on in their life where it's like this exploration of who they are. Yeah. So, I mean, things like weddings or like big milestone events, graduations, like back 20, 30 years ago, those were big points in times where, or like when somebody else, or when they were having children, adult adoptees and things like that, those were big points in time where people would be on these like big explorations to find out who their birth parents are, who they are. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think having an open adoption and having birth parent involvement from the start helps to create a sense of self and comfort earlier on um, versus having to figure all of these questions or figure it out later and, and always wonder who you are. That's really interesting about like open adoptions or closed adoptions. Do you, who gets like, do you, in the matching process, do both like sides need to agree on whether it's open or closed or does one have more say than the other? So, so most agencies now are only working with families that are open to an open adoption or at least semi-open. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So uh, because it's so significantly important, if that's something that the birth parent is interested in, we a hundred percent know that that is something that is significant to an adoptee throughout their life. Right. But if an, if a birth parent would like to have a closed adoption, then that is something that we follow the birth parents lead on. Um, but the adoptive family does not often get to decide Yeah, decide in that regard. Can, can the birth parent change their mind later or, mm-hmm. Oh, Okay. And so that's the fear that you were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And, but in those situations, it's often more of like, cause birth parents and adoptees and, a, a, and adoptive parents, oftentimes there's grief and loss associated with, through, with any part of this journey. So for adoptive parents, um, that could be the grief and loss that they had to experience uh, for perhaps their infertility before they decided to come to adoption. So they needed to process that and experience that 
for the adoptee. It's the grief and loss that they will eventually or might experience later on as they grow um, for the loss of that first family, the grief that they might feel for, um, for that. And then for the birth parent, it's the, the grief and loss associated with not parenting a child that they have genetic attachment to and, and emotional attachment to. Um, so I think, yeah, the fear is there for sure, but I think it, it just kind of all sort of makes sense for open adoption to be, um, if that's what the birth parent wants, it, it shouldn't be something fearful, but yeah, it does come up, um, that sometimes if someone chooses a closed adoption that they come around after a birth parent might come around after they've kind of sat in their grief and experienced it and may have gotten some counseling or, or support through family or friends or support groups, the agency. I've, I've one more question about this. (laughs) At what point is it the child, the child becomes the one with all the rights? Like can't, I mean, I, I I can see the answers being 18, but even before then, like if they don't want to meet their birth parents say who, who, but they're younger than 18, who gets to decide? Like, how does that happen? Well, ultimately, I mean, an, an adoption agency is like a child-focused agency. So we're yeah. always looking at the best interests of the child, really. Sure. Um, but part of an open adoption means that birth parents involved from the start. So oh, like, okay. and things are happening then. Of course, if a child hits a certain age and they're not totally feeling like what what we see with teenagers rebelling and things like that. Like Mm -hmm. if that's something that they're, that they're not feeling comfortable with in that moment, you know, that's why it's really important to work with an adoption competent social worker, adoption competent therapist to help process with the child through those feelings and emotions. Um, And then decide if putting visits or, or contact on hold is in the best interest, but ultimately there is a contract in place. And so we're, we're trying to figure out what's best for everybody involved, but nobody's going to drag a child kicking and screaming anywhere. Right, right, right. So much to think about. (laughs) I've learned so much. I had no idea about (laughs) all of these things. Like you don't. Nobody talks about this like at all. Right? I know. And that's why I was so excited because I know um, to like be invited to share with you guys, because I know that like, it's just another dynamic of growing your family that is not in mainstream conversation. No, not at all. Right? No one talks uh, about it. People are only like starting to talk about infertility, <laughs> that it's not right. a hush hush conversation. Like it's only starting, I feel like. So I, people, I, I think, aren't really – society, not people, is not ready to make adoption like this like mainstream combo. But I think there are so many movies about it and everything yep. like that. But yet, I don't know. It, it doesn't feel the same in terms of the way that people talk about just different types of family planning. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think that – um, me, uh, like the world around us is doing a better job with movies and television, like you said, Aileen, but like, it's like, um, but so much is it hasn't really caught up to where, where it act, where adoption really is today. I mean, there's lots of shows that I guess I could recommend, but like, um, to just kind of that do give nice touches of adoption and, and, and accurate touches of adoption. But 
but I mean, they're definitely more recent because yeah, adoption has evolved so much in the last 30 years. Can you, yeah, please, can you recommend those just to share? Yeah. So a couple, so three shows that have been really expanding on the adoption at, or adoption as it stands right now. I think A Million Little Things does a really good job right now. Um, I think there's, or there's a show on Apple TV that is a uh, show from the UK called Trying. Um, and that is really good. It's about the infertility process and then coming to the decision of adoption um, and pursuing that home study process. It's not necessarily like the most accurate of how it is domestically here in the US, um, but I think it does give a really unique perspective and, and kind of shed some really interesting realness um, to what the process looks like. And then of course, I mean, this is us has done, uh, has brought it to light just, um, with a few of their characters. They do not always hit the mark a hundred percent, but I don't need a hundred percent for it to kind of resonate with people. We strive for it, but it's never going to be the the case. But I think that's any, like, you know, you have to take Hollywood with a grain of salt. With what right, they exactly. Do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's got to be some theatrics involved. Otherwise, it's like not as interesting. So, right, right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and, and they they actually what I really appreciate about that show, too, is they have a social worker that they consult with about the process and all of that stuff, too. So I think it's it's really important. And that's kind of always my philosophy in this field is that talking to people doing the actual work is going to be super important to get like the best understanding of what you're getting into and what the process is. So for anybody listening that is just interested in like learning more about like what, you know, what their options are, they're thinking about adoption where do you have any like resources that you can share? Yeah. Um, so, uh, most agencies, if you're local agencies, if you just kind of look at what, what's around you, they should have uh, information sessions um, that are free. So those, um, you want them to, of course, be free. Um, That is really going to be super ethical, of course, to not have to necessarily pay for your full information session. Um, So I think that's really good. Um, There's lots of different, um, if you just, which I follow, but a lot of them are more foster to adopt, but there's lots of different accounts on Instagram or um, TikTok even that are talking about this process. Um, So just to kind of search those channels. I could give you names too, but, but they're more for foster to adopt. Oh, and then if you're, there's, there's great books out there too. So especially if you're considering transracial adoption, there's lots of great books out there. So great book would be the, (laughs) the adopted child by, um, Dr. Elaine Schulte. Um, if you're just looking for more information from the medical standpoint in adoption, Well, thank you so much, Sammy. This has been very eye-opening, and I hope that a lot of people who didn't know much about this process know a little bit more. Um, If in if we have a listener in Bethesda wants to come by, what is there? Do they have to make an appointment? How does it work? Yeah. So if somebody in DC, Maryland, or Virginia, so we're actually in all three States, not just specific to Bethesda, if you're, yeah. So if uh, DC, Maryland, Virginia, across any of, 
across the states and any of those, um, we are happy to help um, and support through help you learn through the process. And if you wanted to pursue it, we can definitely do that. Um, you can go to our website, the Barker um, and check it out. We do do consultations um, with our um with our directors. Um, and then we also have information, free information sessions every month. Right now they are virtual. Cool. Well, thank you so much. And thank you. that is it for this episode of Betcha's Mom's Podcast. Please don't forget to rate, review, follow us on Spotify and Apple, subscribe, all of the above. Just listen every single week too. Like that's great too. We love that. And follow Betcha's Moms at Betcha's Moms on Instagram. Follow us. I'm at, oh my God. I'm at Aileen, Brittany's at Brit Rich, and remember, there are no rules on this podcast. I'm not like a regular mom. I'm a cool mom, right, Regina? Please stop talking. The Betches Moms podcast is produced by Sean Kilby and Jorge Morales-Pico. Editing by Stacey Wong. Social media by Brittany Levine. Guest booking by Nicole Pellegrino. Be sure to follow us at Betches Moms on Instagram and send us your emails to moms at betches.com. 